we're going to continue this new series called Basic. And I don't know if you guys, I mean, uh, we all have different experiences growing up, right? But we live in a time now of technology, no doubt about it, right? It's all around us everywhere all the time. As a matter of fact, this week we were discussing some of the latest breakthroughs in technology and how it's accelerating and kind of terrifying at times. We're not sure if it's a good or a bad thing half the time. Uh, but I remember whenever technology was simple, because I'm old. I'm just kidding. Some of you people think, well, you're not old, because I remember when it was really simple. Like, I, I've heard those stories. But whenever I grew up, I was a child of the 80s, actually born in the 70s, but really kind of came to know reality in the 80s. Computer language was really simple. And computer language, you would put in some basic code, and then when you push the go button, basic things happened. That's why the language was called BASIC. Uh, it was super easy to learn. You would do um, direct links uh, or direct uh, lines of code. Everything had to correlate, but if it did, it worked beautifully. And then if it didn't, it broke. And it would tell you when it was broken. And part of the fun of writing code was whenever it was broken, you could troubleshoot it and you could, you could figure out where you made a mistake. Right? But here was a, pr a fundamental principle that you realized as, as a young person studying computers. It was always a human problem. I mean, you may have, we like to say as people who use technology, oh, there's gremlins in the technology, oh, uh, the code's bad or something. But fundamentally, in that case, even if the code is bad, it's a human problem because humans wrote the code. When the sermon series I've been studying through with you, it's not about the code that we've written, but instead the code that God has written. We believe that fundamentally God has put some basic code in place, some basic rules. And as a matter of fact, uh, whenever we see error in the world, we should be slow, slow, maybe even never jump to the conclusion that, well, God has done something wrong in this code, but instead this might be a human error, also known as a user error, right? You ever heard that term? Um, some find it derogatory to call people who use technology users. Most people who are in technology call people users who use the technology. I remember one time, I think I told you this, but I was having a conversation with somebody, and, and he was kind of lamenting about some things he thought was wrong with God. And I said, do you think it's really that it's wrong with God or that you have a wrong understanding of what God is doing? You take a basic thought like that and you apply it across your life, it can change everything. I, I believe this right now. As a culture, we are quick to accuse the code writer of error and slow to assume that there's error in us. We talked the first week about the fundamental issue that God is before anything that we know was. As a matter of fact, I'll tell you a little secret about that message that I preached two weeks ago. It was one of my favorite things because what I realized, and this is a, a clue for any of us in our lives, if you want something to be excited about forever, think deeply about the glory of God. Just spend some of your life thinking about the glory of God and it will change your perspective on everything else in your life. There's no end of the study of the glory of God. There's no end of the, of, of the experience of the glory of God. And as a matter of fact, when we start to talk about things like we'll talk about today, which is eternity and why these things matter, these fundamental doctrines, there's no end of being present in the glory of God. It's an eternal experience to be with God. The Bible says something like, for the Lord, uh, a thousand years is like a day. Like, it just goes on and on and on into the ages. Well, here's another confession for you. Last week, I, I spoke on idolatry. 
And those of you who are here for that, I don't know how you experienced it, but it was awful for me. It was an awful experience to preach on idolatry. I, I kind of went through the list, and, and we had a family group, and it, that helped a little bit. We got to apply it and say, oh, do we really see this stuff? Do we think those are idols? And we're like, yeah, yeah. But you know what really happened? I asked you guys, I challenged I said, maybe look around this week for idols in our, our lives, like things that are, are there. And man, what a tough week to walk through and see all the idolatry I don't know if you had that experience. I'm not trying to be like, I'm just trying to say for real, like I was walking around like, oh, and I felt it, I experienced it, and it was tough, tough. Because you begin to realize all the things that we worship besides God. Uh, as a matter of fact, when I came to the realization is that ultimately we, we worship ourselves more than anything else. There's a passage in the Bible that says, uh, no one neglects his own body, but instead feeds it and cares for it. And you might be like me, and you're like, you know what, though, I don't really care. I don't care. For, I've had people say, I don't care for my body, you know. But even in that, you're, you're caring. You're, you're meeting a need, you know. Whether you stay in super shape, you know, and you're like really fit, or you just let yourself go like I have a tendency to do, you're meeting a need because ultimately you are worshiping yourself through that experience, not God. So it's antithetical in a way to, to believe that in the end, and uh, you know, really this week's message is the key to everything, is this issue of salvation, but maybe in some ways that we don't expect. So I'm going to do what we always do. I'm going to pray for God's wisdom because I have none to offer of myself. We're going to dig into God's word and see what he has to say about himself and why this matters, and then we're going to see what God does with that in our lives. Pray with me if you would. Uh, Father God, we thank you so much for the chance to come here today to worship you again and to worship you not just here but throughout the week, even in those really hard weeks where you just show us things that make us, you know, stop and take account. I mean, Father, we just give you glory and praise for all of it, all the experience. You are, we confess, above, beyond all things, and we live within your creation. We love you so much. We thank you for the chance we have to worship you today and to grow through your word, through experiencing you, through experiencing the power of your Holy Spirit revealed in your word. And that's our prayer today. And not that you would do it because we ask that you would do it because you're God and we can't do it without you. So for your glory and for our good, would you teach us today? We ask in Jesus' name, amen. Wow, there's so much stuff. All right, so we're going to go to a passage of Scripture that I guarantee you've all heard before. And we're going to look at John 3.16. So if you brought a Bible, uh, turn to John 3.16. Um, if you didn't bring one, you can grab one off the chair row. It's going to be page 741. And we're going to kind of talk through this. I'm, I'm going to uh, kind of go around it a little bit here because I want to get a little bit of the context. So... As you're turning there, and I hope you do get eyes on it, because I know you probably know this verse. You're like, yeah, I know the verse. I know the verse, Bill. I've heard the verse before. But I want to talk about the context of what's happening. Uh, in verse 1, it says there was a Pharisee named Nicodemus, a member of the Jewish ruling council. So this guy is kind of in charge. And it says he came to Jesus at night uh, and said, Rabbi, we know you're a teacher who's come from God. And the reason that Nicodemus is coming to Jesus is because Jesus is doing some stuff that no one else has ever done before, specifically healing people. And Nicodemus is like perplexed by this experience. He's like, wait a minute, I thought God was about religion and church and showing up on Sundays, I'm kidding, Friday nights, and worshiping God. And you're saying it's about something else. And we know you're from God, right? And that's a little bit of the background. So Nicodemus comes and kind of humbles himself before Jesus and asks him uh, this question. 
And then I'm going to read through here because it's important, right? Verse 3, this is what Jesus says. I can tell you, I tell you the truth, no one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. Or no one can see the kingdom of God unless he's born anew. Last Sunday we had Reformation Sunday or whatever you would call it. You know, we celebrated, you know, 500 years of Protestantism, which I'm not sure what we celebrate and what we lament about 500 years of being separated as a church under God's leadership. But um, we had the opportunity. But this is one of those issues that becomes a sticking point. Like last week, if statues, you know, like, oh, statues bothered some folks. Like this week, that idea that you have to be born again has become Protestant language. If you've ever gone to a Baptist church or, um, I don't know about, like, maybe more a Pentecostal church, charismatic churches. I, I mostly was around Baptists whenever I was, uh, when I wasn't in Roman Catholic church as a kid. But this language becomes um, divisive. Be reborn, be born again. But I want you to see how literally, and I've told you before, but how literally Nicodemus took it. Because this is the Nicodemus response. When Jesus says, if you want to see the kingdom of God, you have to be born over. You, that's what Jesus said. You have to be born again. Nicodemus hears that and says this. How can a man, that means a person, be born when he's old? Surely he cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb to be born again. Now you could think that they're being hyperbolic here, right? But he's, he's interpreting exactly what Jesus said. You have to be born over. For what? to see the kingdom of God. This, this is a, a core message of the church. <laughs> this is a core teaching. You have to be born again. Now listen to me. Some of you were raised in churches and you, you, you've ad adapted an ability to tune it out. You've adapted the ability to suffer through services and even suffer through bad sermons by people like me, right? You go, oh, it's over. I remember that. I remember when they, oh, we're, our last point. Yes, it's his last point. <laughs> but this is a fundamental teaching that you, to get it, I'll tell you what breaks my heart. For friends of mine who don't get it, and they'll go, I know you get it, but I don't get it. And, I, and you would think, you, in our culture, people like to have something else has. Like, yeah, I got that. You don't have that. You know, like, you feel good about it? I feel terrible about that. Because I want you to have it. Like, because my life is forever changed. Because I was born again. Born again. Nicodemus is like, you climb back in your mama? Ew. No. No. Look at what Jesus says. Verse 5, I tell you the truth, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless he's born of water and the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to Spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. I'm going to stop there. We're going to pick up one other thing here, but I'm going to stop there for a minute, right? He talks about two births, a water birth and a spiritual birth. And he says, Jesus says they're separate things. They're not the same thing. So because you're born doesn't mean you're going to see the kingdom of God. We, we act like that's the case. Sometimes we want to be the case. Well, if you're born, you're born like me and you can see what I see, right? But Jesus teaches something fundamentally different. He says the spirit gives birth to spirit, but flesh gives birth to flesh. By the way, just so we don't get this wrong, this whole 
procreation idea was Jesus' idea in the beginning, right? Go forth and multiply. Have babies. I mean, it was God's good idea. We talked last week about how sexuality and sexual issues can become an idol in our life because we're fundamentally diverting the glory of God to a lesser thing, which is the sexuality he gave us. We're making it more important than God. Here he says that flesh gives birth to flesh. That's his plan, right, for creation. But spirit gives birth to spirit, and that's his plan for the kingdom of God. And he says you will not see it if you're not born over. You won't see it if you're not born again. He tells his teacher, this rabbi, or this um, um, leader, you should not be surprised when I say this to you. Now, verse 8 is going to sticky wicket, right? The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell, listen, where it comes from or where it's heading. And so it is with everyone that's born of the Spirit. He says, you ever stood out in the field and you try to determine where the next blow of the wind's going to come from? Have you ever done that? Have you ever stood out in the middle of a storm and wondered? Have you stood out in the middle of a storm and had wind blowing every direction? Or have you stood on a still day and wanted some wind? And like, where's the wind? You don't know where it's coming from. There are people in our culture whose full-time jobs, they get paid very well to tell us where the winds come from. And he says, the Spirit of God's like that. You know what that means? Yeah, I heard, a, I, I read a, a fake news story at some point that, uh, that China, I think it was China, I'm not picking on China, I'm assuming some other country, but was trying to build a machine to control the weather. I think it was an Olympics issue. They really want a good weather for the Olympics, they're going to try to control the weather through a machine. Does that seem reasonable? Some would say, maybe eventually technology is going to get us there, right? We'll have a weather machine, you know? Jesus says, that's like the Spirit of God. What does it mean? Beyond us. Goes where he wants, when he wants. Moves who he wants, how he wants. And, and you know what's crazy about it? You know how much we have to say about that? Nothing. Nothing. Do you ever walk out your door on a, on a Sunday morning, Monday morning, and say, I, w- I want more wind today? And turn up the wind dial? I mean, we act like God is like that, don't we? I want more Jesus in my life. I'm going to start going to church on Sundays. I want more Jesus in my life. I'm going to start reading the Bible regularly. I want more Jesus. I'm going to start talking to God about things. And we believe that by our action, listen to me, we're going to manipulate God into us seeing the kingdom. Matter of fact, what happens is people end up walking around, and this is a tough thing, and I'm not saying I see it perfectly because I see darkly, but they walk around pretending that they know when they don't know. They, they act like they know when they don't know. I don't know sometimes, but I know what I know. And I know what I know wasn't for me. It sucks. It sucks. You know Why? Because if I could direct the Spirit of God and a friend came to me and said, I just want to know what you know, I would be like, Spirit of God, moving it. You know, bah. But guess what? That'd make me God, wouldn't it? And I'm not God. I'm unsaved by grace through faith. Jesus said, you can hear the sound of the wind. You can't tell where it comes from, where it's heading. And that's how it is with everyone born of the Spirit. Nicodemus is like, how, how can this be? And he goes on. I'm going to jump ahead here, though. Verse 15. Let's see here. Yeah, no, 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 wait. I want to go 13. Let's go 13. I'm going to go 12. 
Because this all started with a healing, right? Look at 12. I have spoken to you of earthly things, and you do not believe me. How then will you believe I speak of eternal things or heavenly things? Aranos. No one ever has ever gone into heaven, now listen to his testimony, except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. Verse 14, just as Moses lifted up the snake in the desert, the serpent in the desert, so the Son of Man will be lifted up, that everyone who believes in him will have eternal life. That happens before the verse you know in, in, in 16. Do you hear it again. Just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the desert, the Son of Man must be raised up so that everyone who believes in him will have eternal life. And who is the Son of Man? No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven. That's the Son of Man who must be lifted up. I, I'm going to give you a, a Bill Dempsey version of that story, right? Israel's in the desert. They're being attacked by venomous snakes. God says, take one of the snakes, put it on a stick, lift it up. Or make, make a molding out of a gold. See, I'm already messing this up. And, and everyone who looks on the snake will be spared the, the plague of the snake. The snakes aren't going to bite you. are not going to die. You're going to be fine. Look at the snake, and you're not going to die from the snakes. And you go, what a crazy story. Why would that be in the Bible, right? Because some people didn't look at the snake. Some people died. They wouldn't do it. The Son of Man must be lifted up. And if you lift up, you're going to have eternal life for this name. If you look at the one raised up, you're going to have eternal life in his name. And some people won't look up. They won't do it. And they'll die in the desert. For what? I'll, I'll, I'll handle these snakes on my own. I'll, I'll do my own thing here. I, I got my own plan. I can't, I can't trust. I got to look at what's happening here. God's going, I am God and you are not. You are in my creation. Everything's under my command. Obey me. Look up. And Jesus says here, verse 15, everyone who believes in him, the son of man raised up, will have eternal life, may have eternal life. Now here's the verse you all know. Why? Why? <laughs> because God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that anyone who believes in him will not perish but have life forever. There's two realities when I talk about salvation. One is salvation according to Jesus and you can doubt Jesus if you want, but according to Jesus, salvation is an eternal matter, right? And, and the second thing is that perishing is also a fact. It's kind of fashionable these days to say, God's going to save everyone somehow. I mean, I've had people in my office say it to me, and I love them, but they're, they're, they're just like, you know, don't you just do your best? I mean, can't you just worship the God you know? I mean... Yeah, it doesn't matter if it's Islam or Christianity, you know, or let alone flavors of Protestantism, Roman Catholicism, uh, Hindi, like whatever it is. Just, you know, you've seen those bumper stickers, the coexist ones. What a great, what a great sentiment, right? Like who doesn't want to coexist with people, man? I want to coexist with people, right? I mean, we are. I, I, I fundamentally, matter of fact, last week we had a great example, terrifying this week, of someone who cannot coexist with someone who doesn't agree with them. Spiritually. You might say it's not spiritual, it's a political issue. Listen, everything's spiritual. And, and someone's had to get in a car and run people over because they didn't agree with them. I get that. Here's the, the coexist has another idea. It's all the same. They're all the same. Just pick one and worship. It's fine. 
And I would argue, for any one of those groups, they would probably say, that's too far. There's some, like, space. Yeah, don't murder. But <laughs> you ought to believe what you believe. It, it, it's not all the same. Here Jesus says, because God so loved the world, he gives only a son, that whoever would believe would have life in his name forever, and whoever would believe wouldn't perish. Which, if you read the other way around, says whoever doesn't believe is going to perish and not going to have life in his name. Or, the one who isn't born of the Spirit is not going to see the kingdom of God. Check it out, though. 17. So there's real peril, real danger. We loosen this good news. Jesus says, because God didn't send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. <laughs> That's why Jesus came. That's why he came. Many of us like to believe, I uh, would argue wrongly, God made everything and there was a huge mistake in the Garden of Eden. And if it weren't for this mistake in the Garden of Eden, God, you know, and God should have known about that anyway. And what's God doing? Uh, do you remember Jesus on the, uh, being baptized and God says, this is my son whom I love, with him I'm well pleased. There's this eternal righteousness in God himself that he displays through his redemption of his people. And here he says, this is the reason that God sent his son, not to condemn the world, but to save the world to save us through himself. Look at it. But to save the world through him. Now, 18 then goes on to expound us a little more. And, and maybe you know 16 and 17. Those are pretty easy to memorize. 18. I have a hard time with this. Memorizing, I mean. Whoever believes in him is not condemned. But whoever does not believe stands condemned already. Why? Because he has not believed in this name of God's one and only Son. Condemned. Boy, that ought to, this ought to aggravate you a little bit. <laughs> I mean, no matter where you're at as a believer and non-believer, it ought to aggravate you a little bit that this is the way it works, right? Wait a minute. To see the kingdom of God, I have to be born of the Spirit of God. I have no control over that. And then anyone who's born of the flesh, not born of the Spirit, doesn't believe in the Son of Man, is condemned already and going to perish, right, uh, from the earth, and then a second death. And, I, you know, what does even mean, Right? And, and other people are, are going to know God, know the Savior, the Son of Man, and be saved and live eternally with him. And, and they stand condemned already because they haven't believed in the one and only Son. So this is what he, I, I love this, right? Here's the verdict. The light's come into the world, but the darkness doesn't want it. We won't look up. We refuse. We won't look up. Look. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but men love darkness instead of light because their deeds are evil. Jesus is still trying to explain why what he's doing is different from what this, uh, Nicodemus expected, right? Look at what he says. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light because for fear that their deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives in the truth comes to the light so that he may be seen plainly that what he has done has been done of God. He's saying, I stand transparent before God on what I've done because it's true and it's right and it's holy. But it's a God thing. It's a God thing. Okay, listen. I'm just trying to be really practical. We got a baby over here tonight, today. You know, we got babies in the nursery. We got 
little kids up here looking at all the old, what do you call it, old stinky people or old crabby, whatever we were. I don't know. <laughs> how many of you chose to be born? Nobody? I mean, how many of you were like, I'm going to pick some good parents. I'm going to make the right decision. I'm going to be born into my household. It's going to be great. My plans are going to be awesome. How many of you, how many of you chose, how many of you chose the day you're going to be born? How many chose uh, the way you're going to be born? That's a big topic today. I was just born wrong. If I was in charge, I'd been born differently. How many of you chose that? See? But we go, oh, but with God, it's different. I, I choose. Which God do I follow? I choose. Which God do I worship? I choose. This is the most troubling text because it says that God chooses who is born again. God chooses. That's the trouble of rebirth, just to put it plainly. I'm going to jump ahead in the Gospel of John, and I think we're going to look at John, I want to say 14. Yeah, 14.6. It's going to pop up on the screen in a second, I believe, through the magic of technology. But 14.6. Jesus' own followers, this is way later in the Gospels, right? They're following around. Thomas, who I love so much, comes to Jesus because Jesus starts, I'm going to talk a little about the context here. He's talking to the disciples. He says, don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms, or my Father's mansion are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you differently. And I'm going to go ahead to prepare a place for you. And if I go prepare a place, I'm going to come back and I'm going to take you with me uh, that you can be where I am. You know the way. Listen <laughs> to the place I'm going. And Thomas, who you have to love, is like, Lord, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? That's a simple question. We don't, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? We don't know your destination. How can we know the way? And this is the confounding answer Jesus gives. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. I'm the way the truth and life. No one comes to the Father except through me. This is one of those passages that we may have heard before too. People don't like it. Um, Christians don't like it because we want it to be wider. We're like, eh, you're probably okay. You know, there are people who call themselves Christians who say, you're probably okay. Just worship the God you know. And there are people who, who don't like it because they, they think it's really, you know, what a, how close-minded of you to think Jesus is the only way. The problem is, if you take Jesus at his word, he's the only way. That's exactly what it says. Um, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really knew me, you would know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him, and you have seen him, because you've seen me, because I and the Father are one. That's where he's going with this whole conversation, by the way. We're the same. Remember John? In the beginning was the Word. I mean, Jesus is tying this whole thing together, like, this is me. I'm the way. You want to end up in God's presence forever? Jesus. Well, I don't know where Jesus is going. You've got to follow him. Well, I don't know how to follow him. He's the way. You just follow Jesus. I think we get frustrated with the simplicity of it because he makes no kind of space for us to wiggle out of and go, well, he, kinda, he meant he's one of the ways. <laughs> he meant he's a way, not the way, <laughs> Right? He's a truth, not the truth. He's a light, not the light. I mean, that becomes the problem is that, you know, what does it call the um, definitive article or whatever? It says the only, the. <laughs> but this is the core doctrine of the church. 
And you know what I think? We, I think we're, good intent, we're well-intentioned because people say, well, if you knew that was the truth, uh, why would you want it to be different? Uh, because we, be, we want to control God. You're going to be fine. That's what we want to say to people. You're going to be fine. But Jesus didn't teach that way. I'm the way, Thomas. You know, Thomas, who's later doubting. Um, you must come through me, Thomas. Maybe that's why it's a big deal later on when Thomas is like, I have to see with my own eyes that this is Jesus raised. I have to see with my own eyes. Because he said he's the way, the truth, and life. No one's going to get to the Father except through Jesus. And I'm not going to be deceived by some fake apparition that you've all seen. He must know him intimately. I'm going to jump ahead now. So that's John. You go, and there are people who say, well, that's the Gospel of John. Okay, fair enough. Let's look at Acts. Let's see if we can pull it up here. Yeah, Acts 4, 10 through 12. One of the hardest things about this, by the way, is I want to I preach all around it, and I've got to kind of focus up on what I'm trying to get to here because there's so much good stuff, right? But a little bit of context here. You'll see a pattern developing, by the way, I hope, this morning. A little bit of context here is that uh, the, the apostles have begun to do things in Jesus' name that people cannot explain, specifically healings, restoration, community development, like really healthy things have been happening. And if you look in um, verse, uh, let's say, uh, eight, uh, seven, four, seven, it says they, they had Peter and John brought before them and began to question them, saying, by what power or by what name do you do this? Because they're doing things that no one else can do. They want to know how you have the power, the dunamis. By the way, that's what we pray for today is not that I would be an excellent orator or preacher or anything else, but that the power of God would descend on our lives and change us forever because he is able to do it. And then look at verse 8. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said, Rulers and elders of the people, if we are being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a cripple and ask how he was healed, then know this. He's like, if you want to know how things are changing, how people are being made better, how things are changing in in the community, in the people's lives, then here's the fact. It is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man now stands before you healed. I want you to think for a minute about that testimony. Peter has an opportunity to say all kind of stuff here that he wants to say. And in the moment, he says, it is because of Jesus Christ, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man has been healed. He's the only one that gets credit for what's happening. You know what another way to say that is? Peter says, it's not about me. It's not about John. It's not about us. It's about Jesus. That's how he's healed. He quotes this scripture, the stone that the builders rejected has become the Capstone, the chief cornerstone. And then he says this, man, listen. Salvation is found in no one else because there is no other name under heaven given by men by which we must be saved. Hear it? It's like plain as nose in your face, isn't it? This is the one, right? I mean, this is Peter who says like, Lord, where can we go? You have the words of eternal life. (laughs) Peter's later flabbergasted. You don't know how we're doing this? It's because of Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus, that's how we're doing it. And then he says that this is a name by which all salvation must happen. Listen, salvation is found in no one else. That's his testimony. 
Not salvation is found in Jesus and a few other places. Nowhere else are you going to find salvation. Nothing else. And it feels self-serving to stand in a Christian church and preach the gospel that Jesus is the only way to salvation. But here's the thing. That's our call in life. To stand before others and say, Jesus. This can be frustrating for people who don't believe in Jesus. Because they go, yeah, but what else? Jesus. What if I go to church on Sunday? Jesus. You know, what if I'm a good person? What if I'm a really good person? <laughs> what if I'm better than every other person I know? Jesus. What if I'm better than you? Jesus. You mean it has nothing to do with how good of a person I am? No. It has nothing to do with m the way I lived my life? No. Can you hear it? Well, how can anyone be saved? We say, Jesus. Listen, we are powerless. We are powerless to save people. I want to talk about that burden that God has in your heart for the lost in a minute. But listen, God is saving people. It's for his glory and his purpose and by his design. And then we can say with Peter and John and others, salvation is found nowhere else because there's no other name under heaven given by men that can be saved. No other name. Which is why it's funny when we engage with people who have different faith beliefs than us and they'll say, well, I believe in Jesus too. And you go, what does that mean? Tell me what that means to you, Jesus. Well, it means that I'm a good person. I go to church. I have this, you know, I'm just saying, right? Uh, I have a little, I wear a cross, or I do these certain, that's what, no, um, Jesus, that's the testimony of a believer. What happened in your life? Like, fundamentally, what happened in your life to cause you to believe? Fundamentally. Did you just wake up and figure it out? Oh, I got the answers. Did you read enough Bible that you had wisdom to understand? Or did God just kind of punch through your soul and be like, wake up, stupid, I'm here? Right? Like, was it this kind of, ah, not of yourself? I was talking to a friend of mine, and I, I said, my prayer for you is that God would break through in your life in a way that no one could ever talk you out of it. You know why it's a prayer? Because I can't do that and you can't do that. But if God does that, I'm going to dance, baby. <laughs> because no one will talk you out of it. Do you feel that kind of faith in your life? Do you feel that kind of faith that like everything's going wrong? You're like, oh, how could I hang on? How could I even believe anymore? And God's like, because I'm here. And you're like, that's right. That's why. Because you're here. You know, like that kind of faith that you just know that God's just moving you forward in some way. How do I know the way? I can't tell where you're going, God. And he's like, just follow me because I'm the way. Like that kind of faith that moves you. You got people in your life that you want to know Jesus as Savior, but maybe you just want to be good people, like nice people, less annoying, right? Less angry. Uh, that's not enough. God is doing a good kingdom work amongst his people. He's not satisfied to meet your low standards for salvation. No. Turn with me. Last stop. Those of you ready to get out of here, you're like, yeah. <laughs> Romans. Hey, boy, there's a lot here. We're not going to cover it all. We don't need to, man, because God can do anything he wants, with anything he wants. Praise God for his faithfulness and ability. 
Verse 22 of chapter 8 in Romans says this, we know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth. Listen to the language right up to the present time. Born of the spirit, born of the flesh, do you hear it? Um, the creation has been subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it and hope that, oh man, the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and be brought into the glorious freedom of the children of God. He says that everything's been held in tension for a reason, and it's for the glory of God. The reason that you sit and lament, the reason in my life I sat and lamented so many years, like, like these people are crazy, I don't want any part of that. The reason that he was building that tension is that whenever he moved my life, that he would be glorified. Listen, if you're in a season in the desert and you go, God, just move me out of the desert season. The reason he's holding you in the season and building tension in your heart is that so whenever he moves you out of the desert, you break forth in song because he moved you, because he's glorified. The whole creation has been in bondage, longing for the present moment when the Spirit of God is breaking free in the people and in the church. I mean, the big C church, the people of God gathered, the kingdom of God who have eyes to see and ears to hear all that he's doing in the world, all of his glory being revealed in the world. For it is in this, wait, wait, wait. not only so, but ourselves who have the, are the first fruits of the Spirit of God, grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for the adoption of sons, the redemption of our bodies, a full-scale redemption. 24. By the way, you're allowed to grow inwardly? I mean, you, you wonder, like, um, how much more God wants the ultimate manifestation of His will to be known than we do? Building up tension in us. For in this hope we were saved, but the hope that is not seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what he already has? But we hope for what we do not yet have. We wait for it patiently. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We don't even know how to pray, but the Spirit of God intercedes with groans that words cannot express. That, that's what I'm talking about. We said, come back to that. That burden you have in your gut for your mom or your dad or your brother, or your sister, your neighbor, your friend, your coworker, the students, the person you hate the most, you know, in life right now, but you have that burden for them. Like that that thing is the Spirit pre preparing and bringing out prayers in our hearts, helping us in our weakness, helping us acknowledge our weakness. And he who searches our hearts know the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes in accordance with God's will. And we know that in all things, now here's a verse we hear all the time, God works for the good of those who love him and who have been called according to his purpose. And we say that like it's a, a, a stamp on everything we do in our life is right. Listen, we know that in all things, it, what's he talking about? In those desert, in those longing years, in those years of, of heart-wrenching, heartbreaking lack or, or, you know, not seeing God move the way you would hope, that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him and who are called according to his purpose. And here it is, and this goes back to John 3. Because those that God foreknew, he predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those he predestined, he also called and those he called, he also justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. 
You know what that says? Not only is the moment of understanding of Christ a movement of the Spirit of God that we do not control, not only is that moment we see the kingdom of God, but that the ultimate manifestation, the ultimate us coming, becoming reconciled to God completely, being made into the image and likeness of His Son is guaranteed in God's power that He knew so you say, well, why should we even talk about it? If God reveals himself to people through the Spirit, gives them eyes to see, has them be born again, calls them into salvation, the only name to be saved, and then guarantees their sanctification, that's a fancy word for holiness, that God's making us holy as holy people, that if all that's guaranteed in God, why should we bother? And it's to awaken the church to the call of God. Because you might be that person today that says, it's not for me, it's ridiculous, I'm not going to do this. And God might be just setting you up, man, just stacking you up so that when you fall, it's for his glory. They'll be glorified. At the end, what does the word say? That no one would boast. Because we've been saved by grace through faith, and it is not of ourselves. It is a gift of God that we don't deserve. Why would you not want to share that with people? Sometimes it feels a little mean, doesn't it? Jesus. I want to read a couple more verses, 28. And we know, oh, no, 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 wait, wait. Um, 31. (laughs) What then shall we say in response to all this? If God is with us, who can be against us? He does not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How do we also not, along with him, graciously uh, give us all things? How will he not also give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who, are the, who condemns? Uh, Jesus Christ who died. More than that, who is raised to life and at the right hand of God right now is interceding for us. Who's going to condemn us? Who shall separate us from this love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or nakedness or danger or sword? And look at verse 37. No. And all these things, we are more than conquerors through him, listen, who loved us. More than conquerors through Jesus Christ. That was a lot of words to say this. Jesus. When you walk with your friends and they say, man, what's different? Just go, Jesus. I don't get, yeah, but it's Jesus. Don't ever abandon the good confession that it is Jesus who saves. There's so many more things we could talk about that we're not going to today. God's Spirit is more than capable to do everything that God wants to do in our hearts and lives. And listen, and if you know Him today, He is more, I want you to hear this, He is more than capable to do that work in the lives of those you love and care for. I, I, I spent some time at a conference. I talked to a, a, a gentleman who's nationally respected. Just, you know, books and you know, teaching and just muckety-muck, man, godly person, and through tears told me of people in his life that he loved dearly who don't, who rejected Jesus. Let that be for the glory of God. But are you? That's the question I have for you today. You. Who do you believe in for salvation? See, you're here. Who are you trusting in? Is it Jesus or something else? Salvation is found nowhere else. Pray with me. Father God, we, 
are part of the good confession of your church that you save us through Jesus' blood on the cross, that you raise us from the dead in his name, and that you, um, you know, draw us to your kingdom forever. Father, I, I pray that prayer today that if those are here who don't know you in that way, that your spirit will break through. And I pray, Father, that it's not a show or a stunt or some human manipulation or emotion. Lord, not my terrible preaching, Father God, but your spirit moving in people's lives that they would know you. And this is not for my glory, but yours. This is not my story, but yours. And these are not my people, but yours, Father, that you're calling into the kingdom. May you be glorified. May we as a church just celebrate, dance when we hear people coming to faith in Jesus Christ and nothing else. We have that common bond of the spirit, the language of the Holy Spirit that helps us to understand, interpret, encourage, and correct, rebuke one another in the love of Christ and say, yes, good and faithful servant move forward in following jesus may we be encouragers of believers father god and may we just join in that 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 uh, parade of saints father that are coming to your kingdom may you be glorified father for the people in our lives that we are heartbroken for that we believe we're rejecting the truth of your son and his salvation father god for those people I pray that, that that work, that heartache, heartbreak would do its work in our life. And then if it's meant to lead to fasting and prayer and serious just adoration of you because you are more than capable, if it's meant to be something that's never reconciled, that by your sovereign choice they will not be saved, but it's for your glory, Father. I pray that we would live in that space where you would say, but you alone are worthy to be glorified. My confession today, Father, and I think our confession, we did not choose to be born, and we did not choose to be born again, but you saved some, and we praise you for it. May you save some this week. We love you so much, and we pray this prayer in the mighty and powerful name, the only name, Jesus Christ. Amen.